it's been challenging. I'll say that. You know, one of the, the first projects I did in Lansing, this is a pilot project with um, seventh and eighth graders. I was talking about murals with students, thinking this is the intro. This is the, this is like where I sort of ease into the project. And right away, a handful of students asked what a mural was. And I was like, oh no, we have a different starting point. Part of my ego was part of my steel, got ice in my veins like I'm D-Lo. Uh, I end your canvas and turn it to magic, I bust out the pen like I'm Debo. Uh, double entendre, times of Japan, they're spilling my lead and I reload. Uh, hoping some commas cover my trauma while I get back to the people. Uh, I don't intend to let up, uh, off my ass or the fetter. Uh, any means, any measure, or uh, black diamonds under pressure. You've tuned in to How It Looks From Here, life in the time of climate change. Here in the mashup of reality and uncertainty, Life looks different to you than it does to me. The way race and gender, education and work, and everyday circumstances combine in any person's experience, well, it's different. For every person, how it looks matters. So we offer these interviews as ways of giving us all new ideas and inspirations for making our way forward, together. I'm Mary Claire, and today I'll be talking with Dustin Hunt, a mural artist, a hip-hop DJ and historian, and an art educator. Dustin lives in Lansing, Michigan, where he draws on his considerable skill and experience at the intersection of hip-hop and graffiti to build educational experiences that connect students' intrinsic knowledge to their creative capacity, while also building analytical and creative problem-solving skills. In that way, Dustin empowers students to become catalysts of change in their communities. Hey, Dustin. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's, yeah. uh, it's a pleasure to be here. How long have you been there in, in Lansing? Uh, we've been in Lansing for about four years. Before that, I was in Minneapolis for three years. Before that, I was in Portland, Oregon for five years. Um, so it's been interesting coming back with those other, uh, having lived in those other places and gained knowledge and understanding of other regions. Uh, but yeah, we've been here for four years now. And so tell me the, the story of how you got from your degree in art education. It's, I think you, you got that in 2007, right? So yeah, I was certified to teach in 2007. My first teaching job was with Chicago Public Schools. It's a kind of a typical uh, high school art position. And at the end of my first year, I was laid off. Um, so from there, I, I called a friend out in Portland and just asked about the educational and sort of cultural hip hop landscape out there. And he described it in a way that was very inviting. And so I moved out there to get specifically into alternative education, uh -huh. um, which I was able to do um, through a nonprofit that served uh, young adults experiencing homelessness. And one of their programs was uh, they had a GED readiness program. Was that outside in? 
No, it wasn't outside and it was New Avenues for Youth. New Avenues for Youth in Portland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So initially I was hired on to be a teacher in a broad sense. Um, they liked that I had an art education background because it's like a really quick way to engage and draw in students. So that was my, my first role was a teacher bringing in a, a big art education component. And the goal was to pique young people's interest enough so they would stay with us throughout that whole day after we served them breakfast. You know, with art ed, I think it's somewhat easy to, to sell, you know, what we're doing. It's hands-on, messy, colorful, creative, all of those things. I, at a certain point, I, I, I stepped back a little bit to, to move into this position of tutoring. So I'm tutoring students to get their GED. And there's five tests that they had to pass. One of the tests that held up most of our students was math. Mm. And the math test, it was at the time pretty basic. It was mostly pre-algebra. So I reworked the tutoring lab to focus specifically on the math test. Mm -hmm. And in that one year of doing that, the number of students obtaining their GED jumped 60%. I'll be honest, there was like a, a quick sense of accomplishment in tutoring math. You know, I think teaching art, it's, it's not as easy to see like the direct correlation to life skills and tutoring math was, was very different. It was very quick to see the direct application. And so I, I was trying to figure out how do I blend these two things um, and then just having a background in graffiti and street art and thinking right away of scale and ratio and the things that I needed to do as a young artist, um, taking a, a sketch that was, you know, eight and a half by 11 and making that, you know, 15 feet wide and eight feet tall um, right away. There's a handful of math concepts. And so it came out of that, that tutoring phase and then just kind of brainstorming, how do I blend these two things together? And Portland has a lot of resources for emerging businesses, for nonprofits, for entrepreneurs. So I took a class with Mercy Corps Northwest to sort of hash out a business idea for this early inception of uh, math and murals. Um, and so from the, the business planning standpoint, it, it, things just started to make more sense. Um, that I could, as an entrepreneur, take some risks in this sort of realm of education and art that, you know, those risks actually felt safer than pursuing a traditional art education job because those jobs are cut left and right. And I've been laid off multiple times. And so it just made sense to pursue this, this other thing where I would have more autonomy with the kinds of projects that I could do and just a different kind of interaction with students that was outside of the classroom and outside of the confines of um, public education. And you've been putting it into action there in Lansing for four years to quite some effect. Yeah, I have. And it's, um, it's been challenging. I'll say that, you know, one of the, the first projects I did in Lansing, this is a pilot project with um, seventh and eighth graders. I was talking about murals with students thinking this is the intro. This is the, this is like where I sort of ease into the project. And right away, 
a handful of students asked what a mural was. And I was like, oh no, we have a different starting point. This is pre-math. We're not even talking math. We're talking about just basic public art concepts right now. Um, and so it's been a matter of, I, I guess like the, the easy term for me to come to is, is show and prove. And so I've just needed to do projects to get them out there to show what they look like um, and just to prove that they, that they work. The easy leave behind is the mural. You have something that looks good, makes sense, and sort of adds a certain freshness to a place. Um, people are more able to kind of see the, the value in that. The takeaway is the process of creating the mural, the confidence that the students gain right. um, and the skills. And that's, that's valuable anyways. Mm -hmm. But having this other thing that kind of shows that value um, is helpful in sort of selling these kinds of projects. Well, and that's really where you are, is, is getting the, the funding to be able to move forward. But I want to shift just a little bit to, you know, I um, before we agreed to do this, I mentioned to you the work that we've been doing on full ecology. And of course, that is oriented towards um, providing humans with skills for being present and for being as much a part of the solution as possible as mm -hmm. things continue um, to show up in climate breakdown and then in the possibilities of climate repair. Mm -hmm. So one of the primary things that came has come out of our development of this full ecology thing is how important social ecologies are. And we don't talk about that much when we're thinking about the state of the environment. Um, you are working directly at that point. Social ecologies are the ecologies between us and within us. Mm -hmm. So, so any time that you have any kind of cultural difference, age difference, education access difference, language difference, on and on and on, you have a social ecological challenge, but it's also perfectly beautiful and perfectly normal. Mm -hmm. So can you speak a bit to what you see your work doing that, because uh, one of the things that I've seen in what you've written is um, that this is really about giving students their learning back mm -hmm. and, and yeah. really making it so they go from there into adulthoods that are let's for for our purposes more environmentally fulfilling and healthy mm -hmm. so to speak so what would you what would you say about that the social ecologies that you're working on this past summer there was like a, a distinct difference between my early mural medics projects in schools and big outdoor murals out of classrooms you know i think early on i was sort of you know, I'm an art educator, so I still have this sort of formal training and understanding of the, the school systems, and I was trying to, to work within that. In this past summer, I was focused more so on the, the user experience and how to make these projects really student-centric to maximize their experience. 
you know, because I also kind of observing uh, the 2020 school year with virtual learning right. and hearing sort of the burnout and the fatigue and the disengagement. And I was meeting with students that were not going to school mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. So this summer I was, you know, just recognizing that the student experience had to be center and it had to be rich. And so with that, I think um, there was a, a sort of shift in just focusing on the making that experience as big as possible for the students. You know, these projects aren't simulations. These are projects that are out in the community. And there were two projects specifically where one was, um, it's an old elementary school that's sort of being overgrown. Um, There's an old black walnut tree that's in front of it that has to be at least 50 years old. Um, There's all sorts of bug life, plant life happening on site. And so there's this element of getting tuned in with that site specifically where the site becomes a part of the project because we're, we're showing up for two weeks. And so we get to learn about the certain sounds, the certain plants, the heat, the sun, the direction of the sun, the shade that we have for four hours, or the shade that we don't have. Um, so we're getting really tuned in to the environment of the wall. The second project um, that stands out was next to our Capitol building in downtown Lansing, very different site. But again, I'm having students tune in to the site. And there's a certain, with this site, there's a certain safety component to that. Like I need students to be mindful of the site. I also need them to be safe in the the parking lot of the site. You know, this is a city, this is a 30 foot wall, there's broken glass, there's traffic, there's construction. There were a lot of human interactions as well. And so a big aspect of these projects this past summer has been getting really tuned in to our environment. And then also before we even get to the site, there's a team building component where I view it as like a construction site. And so I need to know that students have some camaraderie with one another, and we've established ways to communicate to one another once we get to the construction site. Once we're there, we get tuned into that site specifically. There's mindfulness that's happening. There's communication. Um, There's this team building aspect that becomes more and more valuable as the project unfolds. At a certain point, we get into a groove where we're painting and eventually execute just a massive mural. So yeah, there's, there's lots of these different components that come into play that I haven't been able to enact in a classroom setting, a typical traditional or even alternative classroom setting. These outdoor projects just lend themselves well to, to so many other possibilities. Those were just a few um, where there is that like social emotional aspect to these projects that In the end, I try to unpack these for the public so they know, like, this isn't just paint on a wall. This is Mary Claire and how it looks from here. Stay with us. We'll be back after this brief break. And so this is another nuanced level, you know, as you're speaking, because of my orientation and what I've been up to, I see the seedlings 
that come on in a stand of trees. And let's make it even different than that. The wildfire has come through, but mm. it's not the absolutely destructive, enormous wildfire that we've been getting, you know, that we've heard a lot about and that is certainly worth its, the press. Um, it's a wildfire that's come through and it's left some of the older trees. And here come the seedlings back, you know, which is what happens in healthy wildfires. And those seedlings are kind of getting a sense of what's going on before they really get going. You know, uh -huh. so this, this way that we forget as human beings that we are nature in nature. Uh -huh. But, but what you're describing is so consistent with that. It's just the way that we are connected with each other and draw forward the intelligence, the true brilliance of, of the, so, so you must see that. Can you tell a story of, mm -hmm. of someone you've watched who's just been, oh, really had their mind blown and awakened? Yeah. Uh, the, the first summer project, so this again is at the, um, sort of the old elementary school it's like a it's the, the ground felt wild you know it felt like nature was taking over this wall and we were just there as guests to 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 add something to that environment that was the first time that these students these were um, eighth graders a small group of eighth graders first time they're meeting in person with one another you know they spent their whole year virtual and sort of connected in that way and so we get to come together in person um, and you know i had this great teaching assistant who was leading us in uh, yoga to begin and movement and just asking students sort of pointed kind of question to to set the tone um, and so after a few days of that it's clicking in my brain and i'm observing these young students are actually talking about grief and they're processing with one another and my adult brain is already in autopilot in that aspect of um, this pandemic and just you know i operate and sort of cope in a certain way and then i take a step back and see that these students are actually grieving together and processing and supporting and just giving each other really affirming words and kindness in a way where I was like, if we don't paint at all today, that's great. Observing these students support each other in this very specific way after, you know, a, just a very challenging year was the most important thing that needed to happen that day. And, you know, some of the, some of their ideas were also like these coping mechanisms that were embedded into the design um, and so that was one of those unexpected gifts of a project that I think like the environment they were, that we were observing and, and trying to become a part of was helpful in that process. The site felt super safe. It felt very nourishing um, just because we're surrounded by green and life, you know, bugs and insects and plants and trees it felt very safe and sacred there. And I think out of that, students felt comfortable grieving with each other and, and with us on site. Um, and that was just very sweet. And they also, in our opening movement circles, um, shared some things that, I mean, my, my time in education, I just hadn't heard students talk in this way. Um, 
but they were bringing up concerns around transphobic comments that friends and family have been making. Multiple students were bringing this up and talking about transphobia and homophobia. And again, it was just, I think like the setting was right, the tone was right. There was a certain safety and sacredness of this site where these students just started sharing some things that I hadn't heard in other classroom conversations and other projects. Um, well, it is really interesting the, um, the way, I've been saying for a while that, that COVID is giving us skills that we can't quite see yet. Mm -hmm. And so you're describing this. One of the things that has been missing from, let's say a dominant culture uh, for two to 500 years is the, the, the capacity for grief. We do grieve, but mm -hmm. we don't stop to do that. And that these students are having the opportunity to hold that at the same time that they're moving into some kind of generative activity and that they're feeling the, the environment around them because they can and because they have the, the moment and the guidance of the adults who are around to do that. What fabulous skill for moving forward into this unpredictable you know, sequence of changes that, mm -hmm. that we're looking at. They don't have to be the end. And as Gary and I say, we don't know. We don't know if the humans are going to make it, but how do we want to be with each other in the meantime? Mm. The other thing that we note is that evolutionary biologists are saying that the reason you and I are even talking today, the reason humans have made it this far is because we're essentially cooperative. Mm and mm -hmm. kind, and you wouldn't know it by the headlines, mm, no. but there we are. Yeah. And so you spend time with these eighth graders in that space around that school and the poetry of that, that it's an abandoned school, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's just amazing what you are allowing and showing can come forward from them and it doesn't hurt at all for them. It feels good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, and then the, the inclusion questions, which the natural world doesn't ask questions about, you know, what's your sexual orientation or, you know, who are you in that regard? You know, there you are thriving mm -hmm. and all of it helps. Yeah, yeah. Just also, as I'm sharing about this specific project at this abandoned school, I'm thinking of like a, a more subtle thing that came out of uh, a much bigger project right next to our Capitol building downtown amongst construction and, you know, development and just pavement and it's a very different setting. And my teaching assistant and I were asking similar questions and um, we weren't getting similar responses and conversations were just very different, but we did add a writing component. Uh. Um, to that because we it just felt somewhat stagnant the the conversations that we were having but we added a writing component and again in that you know and these are this fourth through ninth graders but in our writing they came up with these really wonderful affirmations around body positivity acceptance um, and just kind of realizing or feeling some of their potential power was coming out of their writing and thinking about the the external factors of that site where it was 
loud and bustling and you know not as nourishing as the the other site the sort of response from them was more subtle and through writing um, but just as you know powerful as the first site in terms of what they were thinking and how they were feeling about things taking them to their internal ecology that's what you were doing mm -hmm. that even no matter how loud it's still there that quiet that space oh that's that's lovely yeah i want to ask you i want to go back to hip-hop mm -hmm. and and how so no life is easy you know and and so we get in fact one of the things that we know from the natural world is that disruption is a thing that happens mm. and so then once you are disrupted and you reorganize you have the information from that disruption going forward and it's essentially a, a new collection of skills which is where we are in COVID and what COVID is helping us take forward into more of the climate change experiences. So there you were, um, I guess in, in your teens and early twenties. And so there must've been some kind of attunement that you had to the environment and to what was going on inside you that made it so that you were drawn into this hip hop kind of the ecology what mm -hmm. what was that how did that go and you've kind of spoken of how it moved you into art but i bet you've never left that oh no that's that is a core part of me yeah. is hip-hop and we grew up moving around quite a bit for different reasons and then um there was a point when she needed to get her college degree and she realized that while we were um, in elementary and middle school and so we moved to East Lansing. She went to Michigan State, but we lived in a, this apartment complex with all of the international students and families. And so my brother and I are minorities in this setting, but we were like scooped up by these families. And it was like a very, it was a, a magical experience and setting where you know, like my best friends were from South Africa, Ethiopia, um, India, Pakistan, but we were also just like kids moving around this apartment complex where we could pop into potlucks, we could smell food being cooked wherever we were. We had this, I think it was like a two-day experience at the elementary school that was International Day where folks dressed up in their, their cultural attire, they brought food, and it was massive. And so my brother and I grew up in those formative years in that apartment complex. And I think from that, honestly, like, you know, my mom is a college student. We were broke. We didn't have a lot of money and we moved around a bunch too. And so moving there was a bit different where our friends just kind of scooped us up and held us close. And, you know, we felt safe and nurtured that was a, a sacred living experience right there. But it was also the early 90s, which is from some folks' point of view, it's considered the golden age of hip hop. Um, and so our friends, my friends specifically, who are black and brown folks are also sharing music with me. Um, and we're just kind of observing what the high school kids are into and it's hip hop. And so at that kind of pivotal age, hip hop was introduced, but it wasn't just hip hop. It was like the safety and the network of my friends who were introducing it to myself. 
Also at that age, um, one of my mom's partners brought over a book of LA graffiti. There wasn't any other reference point for this book. It was just on the dining room table. I picked it up and started flipping through it. And it, this could have been another planet because I didn't have any other contextual touch point to place where this art was coming from. Uh, but it was bright and bold, colorful and all of these things. And it was this whole other world that I was, you know, paging through. So those couple of things really shaped where I would go and still inform my, my practice. That's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, it would be lovely if, if you, have you done any hip hop recording of your own or do you mostly DJ? No, I was a DJ for a while. Um, Cause I'm also uh, very introverted. I'm shy, I'm reserved. And so in terms of like the elements of hip hop, there's break dancing, which is you putting yourself out there. And that's not anything I wanted to get into publicly. There's rapping, which again, that doesn't suit my personality. Uh, but then there's DJing, which is more about understanding the history of music and putting music out in front of me, which was something I could um, get into. And then there's graffiti, which is about just how nice you are with your drawing skills and painting skills, which was something I used to communicate outside of my voice. And so yeah. DJing and graffiti were those two components that I gravitated towards just based on my personality. Great. Thank you for that. And as we come to a close here, I want to ask you a how it looks from here question. You know, from how it looks to you, do you have any suggestions to make to listeners for what they can do as we make it through the end of COVID, as we make our way into and perhaps through and through, let's say, you know, what, what would you suggest? What would you advise? I think the more I do these public art projects and learn about all of these intersections of these different sectors, there's, you know, political intersections, there's uh, this world of development and property and ownership, education, art, there's all these intersections. And I think more and more, I'd hope that people in positions of power center young voices. And when I, I'm, I'm just also learning about these different components that sort of hold the keys and hold the funding to public art projects. And I just want people in those positions to really consider and not just, not just for show, but just actually like really consider and center young voices because I, you know, they're the next generation, they're the seedlings, our future is in their hands. <laughs> right, so, and they are, they're um, brilliant. They're brilliant, yes, they're brilliant. And I think, um, you know, whenever I do these projects, it's a reminder for my adult brain that is only getting older to listen to young voices because I'm always filled with hope and inspiration, uh, motivation, just a lot of things that 
you know, it feels like medicine doing these kinds of projects. If it was just me on my own, I would age out and, you know, my, my brain wouldn't feel as fresh and sharp as it does with this component of working with young folks. Yeah. And so I, yeah, just prioritize young people and, and center them and um, bring them into the process of decision-making because their perspective is so valuable. They can see. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Thank you so much, Dustin. Yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. Thank it's you so much for having me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's great. It's great to to be with you to talk with you again. Yeah. 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 And keep doing what you're doing. It's it's just such a gift uh, to the well being of of everyone involved, including the natural world that surrounds you. Yeah. Yeah. You as well. You as well, for sure. Thank you. Learn more about Dustin's inspired and inspiring work at muralmatics.com. That's muralmatics.com. And if you're ever in Lansing, keep your eye out for the many walls of art the Mural Maddox painters have given to the city. During our conversation today, I referred to ideas from the book Full Ecology, Repairing Our Relationship with the Natural World, published by Heyday Books, and available in bookstores everywhere. I also spoke of Gary, referring to Gary Ferguson, award-winning nature writer and co-author with me, Mary, on the Full Ecology book. And now, before we go, a quick pitch for our podcast. If you like what you're hearing on How It Looks From Here, make sure to subscribe. Let's get these perspectives out there. Tell your friends and family, Share a link right now with someone you know who'd enjoy hearing how it looks from another viewpoint. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you find your podcasts. How It Looks From Here is an educational collaboration between Full Ecology and the System Zoo. How It Looks From Here was created and produced by me, Mary Claire, and Joe LaVisca. Editing by Joe and Doug LaVisca. Music by Gary Ferguson. Find us on Instagram at Full Ecology and at fullecology.com. Keep listening and be in touch. <laughs>